Welcome back, friends, to Music Therapy and Beyond. I'm Kristen, and I have a lovely cup of coffee sitting here ready to have a conversation with you, and I could not be more excited. So wherever this episode finds you, welcome. It's our 40th episode. I just I can't quite believe that we have already launched 40 episodes this year, and I guess if you actually consider our former podcast, so the Music Therapy Podcast from 2020, we did 20 episodes over there, so a total of 60 episodes our team has shared out in the world, and that just, that that's amazing. That's just, it's it's very humbling to, to be part of this. What started out as a passion project has really become part of who we are here and where we're going as, um, as a team, and has it's just really exciting. So I want to take a moment to thank you, each and every one of you for listening. We are honored beyond measure that you join us in learning together each week. So we have some really exciting things coming up ahead for Music Therapy and Beyond, and I'm so excited. I want to share them with you, but I can't write yet. So stay tuned on our Instagram, Facebook, and podcast as those announcements roll out, but just know that Our intention here is to continue to more effectively engage in learning together, promoting intentional and effective music services, and prioritizing wellness. That's the heart of what we do. That's what we're learning in the clinics and supervision all the time as a team, and we're sharing it with you, and we're so excited about things coming up, so please stay tuned for those. So speaking of promoting intentional and effective music services, today I get to dig into this topic with you. The top five concepts I think we overlook as music therapists. I see this most with students, interns, and new professionals, but even experienced professionals kind of can forget some of the basics when we get so deep into kind of the our therapy rhythms and systems. And so I'm hoping this kind of jogs some mindset shifts or maybe mental notes, if you will, um, as we kind of, uh, look forward. So this episode is geared towards music therapists as that's my personal experience. However, I often have seen some of these same concepts overlooked by teachers and parents and other health allied health professionals. So physical therapists, speech therapists, occupational therapists, uh, ABA therapists, et cetera, et cetera. So those that, you know, I've, I've worked with in the, in the past. So there is something I hopefully hear for everyone. So let's get to it. set this conversation up just briefly because just so you know where I'm kind of coming from um, with how I've come to these top these five kind of concepts I've been in and around music therapy for 16 years um, from student to professional had a variety of uh, opportunities to work in different settings and to supervise interns and new professionals and over that time I've seen themes I've developed themes not just from observing music therapists working with music therapists learning from other music therapists in um, having my own supervision but also um, just kind of observing and absorbing from other professionals so teachers and parents and uh, speech therapists and occupational therapists and behavioral therapists and 
there's just some themes that I've seen specifically when we're looking at using music as a um, tool to address a goal. And so that would be what music therapists obviously do, but it's there's some things that you can still also pull from this as parents and teachers, etc. when we're using music with like a specific goal. But the truth is when we are in the thick of designing our sessions, we often forget some of the basics, the, the concepts that we've learned or, or maybe we haven't learned in our curriculum. Um, but unless you have a consistent supervision, we are often not aware of what we're overlooking. You know, that these may be vital concepts that we're just overlooking because we're so deep into it. So today I've pulled my kind of top five concept reminders, which are kind of more like mental notes that I've observed um, can be stumbling blocks when designing music experiences. So this first one I call the teach first test kind of concept. And this is, I would say, one really big theme I've seen, especially in new professional students and interns. And it's this idea of teach or train, don't test. So our job is to assist our clients, either it's groups or individuals, to work on a skill. And to work on a skill, it's a skill that they likely don't already know, especially if we're in a like a habilitation model where we're in schools and things like this, and they're, they're kiddos that are, are learning things for the first time. But the same can be said for rehabilitation situations where we're not wanting to just test, we're wanting to, to work with them on the actual skill um, and teaching them and training them how to how to do that and using music to do that. So the teach verse test. So I'm going to give an example. When working, let's say with an individual, we'll say in a school system, learning to answer a question. Now, first we have to acknowledge that this is a very, this is not cut and dry. Um, there's so many, uh, skills and needs for each specific individual. We have to hone in on what their specific need is within this, uh, answering a question. There's so many parts to it, but you know, often I see, okay, yep. Answer questions. Okay. I got an intervention for that. Yeah. Let's do the intervention. We'll answer this question and set it up beautifully in the music, and then we'll leave space for them to answer the question. Beautiful. Yes. Music does that so well with its phrasing, but that isn't teaching them or training the skill. That's testing. And so we must teach them the skill first, then test. Again, many, skill go, many skills go into this specific example. Um, but being intentional about thinking about those precursor skills and training those before simply testing. So are you answering questions that they know? If they don't know the answers, then we need to teach them the answers. We need to give them opportunities to learn. So maybe you can kind of look at this one as opportunities to learn. We're setting up a very rich environment for them to learn this goal, to learn this skill. And it's our job to use the music to um, create that rich environment, not just to test. So that's kind of where the teach first test mindset comes from. And number two really was foundational in my um, graduate school program at Colorado State to really look at goal, not intervention. So this is very, it's, it kind of works collaboratively with the first, but the idea is 
We want to train the goal, not the intervention, which means we need to be providing a wide variety of experiences and alterations and adaptations to interventions and activities or experiences, whatever, however you call your, your music um, activity or experience. We need to be offering a variety of um, alterations to that so we're ensure that we're teaching or we're training the goal, not the intervention, so that those individuals can generalize that functional skill into their environment outside of the music. So it is part of the generalization process, but it's very important to be thinking about that from the beginning in my experience. Now, there are some goals that we need that repetitive nature. So mnemonics are a great example of that. ABCs are a great example where that you really want to learn information. So anytime that we're wanting to use music as a cue to learn or access in our brain specific um, like memory uh, of phone numbers and name. Another example I would think of is using music as a cue for emotional regulation. So anytime you have a regulation song, we want to do that the same way every time so that when, um, when we need to call upon that, we can use the music to cue that regulation. Um, and so there's a number of different ex experiences where we do want that repetitive nature, but we're using music very intentionally to address that goal, and we just know that that's the way we use music to address those those specific goals, so descriptive data, memory recall, those kinds of things. But overall, there are many experiences where we need to ensure we're training the goal and not the intervention, and that means changing up your interventions. That means thinking very intentionally about what you're altering in your um, interventions, how you're designing them, so that then they can be easily generalized. Um, the skill can be easily generalized outside of the music therapy um, session. So it is our job to assist our clients or our client uh, groups in learning a skill um, that is generalizable in their environment outside of the music. So train the goal, not the intervention. And number three is a learning point for me. That was a, a learning point in my graduate program. And I have ever since then shared with interns and, and my colleagues because I think it's just paramount to effective therapy. And it was kind of like my aha moment um, or one of my many aha moments um, during my clinical training. Um, but this idea of where is the work? Where is the work for this individual? Where is the work for this group within a skill or a goal, breaking it down into kind of mini goals and mini skills and looking at what are the parts that are most difficult. And that is, I think, you know, helps us identify where the music needs to be and how we need to use the music to address that goal for that specific individual or that specific group. So all of these concepts kind of work together and align with each other. This concept I think is important because asking this question more than anything informs us where the client is struggling and that helps us identify how we can use music to impact their growth and their progression on a specific skill. So let's go back to that example that we used for um, the individual with answering questions. 
within that, there are so many subset skills. There are so many um, things that we could address. It could be comprehension. It could be um, initiation. It could be oral motor issues. There are so many subset skills that go into answering a question um, that we need to break it down and identify what specifically is it within this skill where is the work for this client? And that helps us inform our music cueing. That helps inform, you know, how we even address the goal and can, in my mind that I have seen it multiple times, completely change the progression of therapy because we know exactly what we are working on for that individual and we can, and we can just really very specifically target that. So where is the work? Where is the work is such a, a good concept, mindset, note, um, to remember. And number four, um, goes right along with number three. And this one is how are you using the music? So too often I see music therapists, parents, teachers, and other allied health professionals using music in opposition to their goal. Around our clinic, we talk a lot about the concept of music cueing and how we literally are using music to assist in the direction of the goal, whether that is physical motor or speech or cognition or, you know, any social emotional wellness goals um, as well. There are so many aspects and characteristics of music that we present that and use in our sessions that we can alter and manipulate to align and, and more effectively um, work to facilitate um, the development of a skill or the growth or, you know, process of the, the skill, whatever, whatever that goal kind of looks like. Characteristics such as tempo, dynamics, melody, lyrics, harmonic progressions, etc. Now, we're going to dig deep into this in another podcast because I'm I'm very interested in this. Our team is, I'm just learning so much from our team and we're kind of compiling a lot of this together. So for now, just, I want you to take time and think about the different characteristics of the music that you are using. Before we move on, I'm going to share an example of where aspects of the music are in direct opposition to each other. So this is some of my Biggest pet peeves, especially for simple and overused children's songs, are a great example. London Bridge, specifically, is melodically in opposition to the lyrics. So, let's hear it. London Bridge is falling down, falling down, falling down. If you notice, the words are saying falling down, but the melody is ascending or going upwards, and... It's completely in opposition of what the lyrics, so falling down, falling down. Now, this is fine. Beautiful song, lots of therapeutic, um, that you can use it in therapeutic ways for some goals. But for instance, not if you're wanting a child or a group of children to follow arm or hand movements for falling down. So if you're wanting a child to sing and then have their hands up high and then bring them down, the music is telling them to do something different than the lyrics. So the music in this example are direct opposition to the goals you're intending intending to achieve in this example. So I'm not saying anything about not using London Bridge. You use it as you feel is therapeutically appropriate. But that is a great example of just being very intentional about thinking about what direction your, your melody is going and 
what the lyrics are saying and how you're using the lyrics and um, just very specifically how you are using your music. So there's a lot to consider when getting down to the nitty gritty of all the aspects of music. So we will break that down in another episode, but for now, simply become more aware of the music choices that you are using and how that aligns with your goal and where that client or group need the most assistance. So again, asking that goes right along with number three, where is the work? A good exercise, I think, is to take one group or client and look specifically at your session plan and music being used with the intention of finding these points of opposition. Um, It can be a really great uh, learning tool and an eye-opening experience that will help um, for this specific mindset shift. So how are you using the music? And that brings us to number five, which I call strive for Zen. When we're designing our therapy sessions, thinking about it from multiple different directions, so vertically and horizontally, from the back, from the front, forwards, backwards, all of the different areas considering attention and energy level, sensory needs of both the individual or group that we're working with as well as ourselves. Where are they coming from? Where are they going to? Um, How is the room set up? There's so many different um, variables to consider, but specifically the design of your session. Where do you put the cognitive tasks? Where do you put the motor tasks? Where do you offer sensory? Have you been thinking about transitions? I just have too often seen really beautiful music interventions fall flat because the therapist didn't consider the environment or the space between session or space between their experiences like transitions, both the micro and macro transitions and the client's energy level. So really taking a step back and looking at the overall flow of your session, thinking about it as one connective flow, what's in between your big interventions? What are you going to, how are you going to get from one to the other? And um, how are you designing it um, to really work on the, to maximize the benefit for that client? Where's their energy? Do they get more energy later on in the session? Do they, um, does their energy kind of uh, wane as well as how your kind of energy level goes through a session? So just really thinking about it um, with this Zen picture in mind of this being a really connected and beautiful um, experience from start to finish. I feel like this is a one we often see um, with interns and new professionals simply because of a probably a lack of experience of, of actually just leading a full session themselves. Um, so this is, but it's good for even experienced professionals to kind of take a step back and, and look at how we, how we design our interventions. So, alrighty, all five of those are number one, teach or train versus testing, teach versus testing, Number two, goal, not intervention. Number three, where is the work? Number four, how are you using music? And number five, strive for Zen. A few simple concepts that maybe are not so simple, but have a lot of details that go into them. And we'll hopefully dig into many of these in more depth in the future. But for now, friends, there is so much that we can do to improve the therapy we provide, the services we provide, and the way we use music. And I hope that um, these five concepts allow you to just kind of think more deeply about the way that you're designing and presenting your music experiences in your setting, whether that's in the home, in a clinic, or at the hospital, or in schools, wherever it is that you are. 
I am so grateful for you and for the time that you've been here. Next week, we have our wellness segment coming up from December, and then we'll have a couple more episodes um, in December before we start the new year. So please reach out to us at musictherapyandbeyond at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Music Therapy and Beyond for all of those updates and all the exciting things coming up. So thank you all for the work you do in all the places that you do it. We'll talk to you next week. Bye, friends.